I don't have a lot of time, so I'll get straight to the point. We generally have a reference to rule breakers or disruptors of convention. Nuclear reactions like those in the center of the sun took place throughout the expanding space. The first time I read it, I couldn't decide whether it was genius or gibberish. What has happened to the idea of real education? Who are the people who make history? Welcome to Omnia, the podcast on all things pen arts and sciences. The 60-second lecture series has been a pen arts and sciences tradition since 2003. The faculty lectures take place every Wednesday in September and April on College Green and have covered topics ranging from human history to fractions to fly fishing. In this podcast, you'll hear each of this fall's 60-second lectures. We'll also dig into our archive of over 200 past lectures and share a few of our favorites. First, we'll hear from John McDonald, a professor of criminology and sociology and the Penny and Robert A. Fox faculty director at the Fells Institute of Government. John's recent research examines how policies and programs that change the land use of places, namely greening vacant lots, can reduce crime and violence in neighborhoods. In August, his research was covered in The New Yorker, and he shared a bit of it during his talk titled, Changing Places, Using Science to Design Safer and Healthier Cities. The design of streets and sidewalks, the quality of the housing, the amount of green space, and the cleanliness of city streets affects whether we walk, the quality of air we breathe, and how safe we are from crime. Unhealthy blocks with abandoned buildings and rundown lots equal unhealthy lives. More people die from gun violence, heart disease, and drug overdoses when neighborhoods are overrun by these problems. Science shows we can reduce these problems by changing neighborhoods block by block. Clean up vacant lots and people go outside and walk and have less stress. Depression goes down for individuals living in blocks after vacant lots have been cleaned up. Put new windows and doors on abandoned houses and gun violence drops by as much as 39%. Place-based intervention like these are simple, affordable, and scalable to entire cities. Thank you. One of the more creative 60-second lectures was presented this fall by Emily Steiner, a professor of English and doctoral student Eileen Malcolm. Professor Steiner studies medieval literature, drama and performance, and Jewish-Christian relations in the Middle Ages. In the tradition of medieval outdoor theater, they performed their lecture, which was titled, Lost Words, Five Medieval Words That We Need Right Now. Hi, everybody. We tend to think of English as being a very acquisitive language, constantly accumulating words. But in fact, we've lost hundreds, if not thousands, of words over the course of the centuries. So today, my assistant, Eileen, and I are going to teach you not five, but 11 medieval words. Um, some of these words are completely lost to the language. Some of them are hovering on the brink of extinction. And we're going to teach them to you through a conversation about the November midterm elections. Professor Steiner, who are you going to vote for in November? Definitely Winken at Wall, because he is so handy, and he's so 
flunked. And boy, does that guy know how to swing to get the votes out. What do you think? I think he's a duff. What? And he's such a softy. What a pushover. He's so nesh. Well, okay, well, what about Dame Agnes Skinner? Do you think she's a woman of the common people? No, she's snurteth. I think she's concealing a hudder mutter. Yeah, she makes me want to bulk. <laughs> what about Jeffrey Guile? Oh, he's such a jangler. What about Purnell Puddingheart? She is a pert and proud popinjay. What are we going to do? We're, We're in, in a, a canker dort. <laughs> Each year, Penn Arts and Sciences presents a special Constitution Day edition of the 62nd Lecture Series. This year's talk was given by Samuel Freeman, the Avalon Professor in the Humanities and Professor of Philosophy and Law. He's also the Graduate Chair in Philosophy. His most recent book, Liberalism and Distributive Justice, was just published in August. Here, he presents his lecture, interpreting the Constitution. Many jurists, legal scholars, and political officials declare that to interpret the Constitution, judges should stick closely to the original understandings of those who wrote or ratified the document, or to the original meaning of its terms. But to ignore 215 years of Supreme Court opinion and legal practice, and insist that the courts must consult only original understandings or meanings, is not constitutional interpretation. It is more akin to ancestor worship or to religious interpretation of a sacred document. This misunderstands the nature of a democratic constitution. John Locke, whose ideas influenced the constitution more than any other thinker, said that we cannot be bound by the promises and commitments of our ancestors, nor can we be bound by their original understandings and meanings. The framers wrote the Constitution, and representatives of the states ratified it, but they did not establish it. The preamble says, we the people do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. It is to the people's understandings that we must look to interpret the Constitution. The people is the sovereign corporate body of free and equal citizens that endures across generations. If we, the sovereign people, are to be bound by the terms of a written document enacted long ago by our forebears, we must interpret it according to our contemporary understandings of the Constitution's terms. Otherwise, we forsake the purpose of the written Constitution and give up our democratic sovereignty to be ruled by the dead. Thank you. Jamal Elias is the Walter H. Annenberg Professor in the Humanities and Professor of Religious Studies and South Asia Studies. He's also the Department Chair of Religious Studies. Professor Elias researches and teaches on Islamic thought, culture, and history, with a focus on Sufism and Islam and modernity. His 62nd lecture was entitled, 60 Seconds is Forever, Without a Watch. Two Meditations on Time. Ibn Arabi, born Andalusia, 1165. What we understand from time is something imagined, extended, and lacking in both directions. The present is like a point that we suppose upon the circumference of a circle. The beginning and end of the circle are designated from wherever we suppose that point to be. We search for something in which time could exist. 
We do not find such a thing in reason or sensation, but rather in the imagination. But this imagination is itself the contents of an infinite imagined container that is conceived of only by imagination. Garcia Lorca, born Andalusia, 1898. Time has the color of night, a still night, above giant moons. Eternity is stuck at 12 o'clock. And in its tower, time has gone to sleep forever. All clocks delude us. Time still has limits. Thank you. Our final 60-second lecture of this year's fall series featured Mark Lieberman, the Christopher H. Brown Distinguished Professor of Linguistics. Professor Lieberman also has an appointment in the Department of Computer and Information Science in the School of Engineering, and he is the director of the Linguistic Data Consortium, an organization that creates and distributes language resources to universities, libraries, and other research institutions. Here, he presents his talk titled, OK Google, Siri, Alexa, Cortana, what's next? In the summer of 2015, I gave a talk to a bunch of economists with the title, Why Human Language Technology Almost Works. And already at that time, it was harder than I expected to create plausible examples of failures in the technologies of speech recognition, machine translation, information retrieval, and so on, though I did succeed in making the systems fail. Three years later, the technology is better. One, area, one important area of improvement is awareness of context, conversational context, as well as spatial, financial, and even physiological context. There are still very significant unsolved problems, but conversational artificial intelligence is good enough and convenient enough that we can extrapolate to a world not only with smarter smartphones and more and more smart homes, smart cars, smart hotel rooms, smart bar rooms, and so on, all integrated with your conversational history, and maybe not just your calls and texts, as well as your location history, physiological signals from your wearables, knowledge of all your purchases, and with the same information about everyone else. This will be a great convenience, but some of it will be a little like having your parents, or your insurance company, or your government looking over your shoulder 24-7, maybe exactly like that. So in the end, this is mainly a cultural, social, and political question, not a technological one, and you should think about it. As we conclude our presentation of this fall's 60-second lectures, we wanted to share a few of our favorites from our archive. Angela Duckworth is the Christopher H. Brown Distinguished Professor of Psychology. Her work on the character trait Grit has made her a New York Times best-selling author and MacArthur Fellow, as well as an advisor to the White House, the NFL, the NBA, and numerous Fortune 500 companies. In 2009, she delivered her 60-second lecture, Why Achievement Isn't Normal. Achievement is not normal. People differ from one another on innumerable dimensions. Many traits follow a bell-shaped or normal distribution, height, for instance. There are outliers, yes, but even the very tallest man in the world, at 8 foot 5 inches, is only one-third taller than the average man. However, the distributions of objectively measured human accomplishments 
are typically extremely skewed with a very long right-hand tail. In so-called log-normal distributions, most of us are clumped together at the very low end of the scale, with a small number of outliers besting average performance by a factor of 2, 10, or even 30-fold. These include number of scholarly publications, number of paintings hung in major art museums, and the frequency with which an author's work is checked out of the library. The log-normal distribution of accomplishment is a clue to its mechanics. If achievement requires many different capacities, each of which is normally distributed, then only a rare few individuals will have it all, so to speak. It is not enough to be very, very talented, or very, very self-disciplined, or very, very determined. To be an outlier in human accomplishment, one must be, at the very least, all of these. Thank you. Rebecca Bushnell is the School of Arts and Sciences Board of Overseers Professor of English. Professor Bushnell has taught at Penn since 1982 and served as the Dean of the School of Arts and Sciences from 2005 to 2013. She is a scholar and teacher of early modern English literature, culture, and history, as well as an expert on the literary genre of tragedy, for which she has received numerous accolades. In 2015, she delivered this 60-second lecture entitled, What Video Games Have Taught Me About Shakespeare? So, what have I learned about Shakespearean tragedy from playing video games? First, video games like Mass Effect, The Walking Dead, or Deus Ex have reframed for me how a tragic character can be shaped through choices made in the blinding rush of the present. In these games, each dialogue or action choice influences how your avatar's moral character evolves and how others treat him or her or you. These video games thus undermine the modern idea that in plays, character drives choice. Rather, in games and in plays, I believe, choices make characters. These choices may be rational, or they may be rash, but whatever they are, they set a complex course for the protagonist and all those he or she touches. Second, while an audience watching a tragedy may feel trapped in that horror of the onrushing present demanding action, we always await the deadly end to come. But video games remind us that in the theater and in games, the end is never really the end, if only because the performance and the game can always begin again. Many video games in turn allow for many possible endings where, like the character of your avatar, they, the ending depends on the player's choices. Playing video games has brought me to look for the multiple stories or possible endings latent in any tragic script in what the play Macbeth calls the seeds of time, but now appears I have come to my end, or so we would think. This has been a presentation of Penn Arts and Sciences. To view the complete archive of 60-second lectures featuring faculty, students, and alumni, visit the Penn Arts and Sciences Vimeo Library. And to listen to previous episodes of the Omnia Podcast, visit our website or subscribe to the Omnia Podcast by Penn Arts and Sciences on iTunes.